Welcome to this edition of In the Kitchen With, a new series of Whistler podcasts where our intrepid food and drink editor, Jilly Smith, goes behind the scenes with the best, the most interesting, the most innovative chefs in Brighton. In the last of the current series, oh, oh, settle down, there'll be more, Jilly goes to Ferner, Brighton's newest fine dining restaurant. Its chef, Dave Mothersill, has been treading the boards of the best of the Brighton restaurant scene since the early 2000s, from Terra Terre to the Ginger Pig and the Ginger Man, before opening the Salt Room and the Coal Shed. Now his own restaurant, Ferner, is tipped to get the city's first Michelin star. Ginny went into the prep kitchen at Ferner to find out how the magic happens. All the hard work happens down here, all the mise en place gets done, uh, ready for each day's service. And then on a night, it sort of transforms into uh, amazing sort of private dining space for up to eight guests down here with uh, either myself or the sous chef like, looking after them. So, yeah, we're in, we're in the heart of Ferna at the moment. Yeah. Ferna is one of the very few really proper fine dining restaurants in Brighton. Now, you've done most of the restaurants in Brighton. You've been here many years doing your, your, your duty by upping the game in food for us. Is Ferner kind of the top of the tree for you? Is that what you were heading towards? What's the, what's the journey for you? I mean, the, the sort of vision for Ferner is, you know, just uh, a restaurant or a space uh, where I can sort of express my um, food interpretations, um, seasonality, and, you know, not really having any um, chains as such, you know, so I can really sort of uh, go to town on ingredients, sourcing the ingredients, and also working very closely with Ross and... Uh, creating the, the wine list and the pairing that goes with uh, the menu each day. So, you know, the menu here really sort of evolves on a daily basis and it's very organic. Nothing's planned as such. We've got some beautiful fridges uh, where we dry age all our meat and fish and they're generally well stocked. So whatever's ready on that day will come out and likewise working with the vegetable suppliers. Um, you know, we're just using like what's best at that time as opposed to being stuck with a menu and running that for a couple of months so you know it's always what's best now and you know I hope the menu sort of reflects that you know yeah I mean I remember being in the kitchen years ago with Isaac Cat with the fish man came in and mm-hmm. also, also done it at uh, 64 degrees and it's really exciting because everyone Absolutely. gathers around I mean take us through where do you get your vegetables from and what's that moment does everybody gather around here and go oh I'll have that and I'm going to do this with that I mean it's very much a conversation with my guys over the phone um you know, on an evening, so you know, after service, when um, you know the kitchen shut down, the guests have disappeared. Uh, myself and the chefs will sit down, we'll discuss the menu for the next day, and then we'll get on the phone to the veg supplier. So that really sort of dictates, um, you know, the menu. Obviously, the proteins are generally in house, as I say, aging in the fridges. Um, you know, we do age a bit of fish here as well, which I know some chefs at the moment are. You know, I think it's a bit of a fad, but personally, for me, like I, I, I think fish with. Uh, Sort of high fat content, i.e. some beautiful chalk stream trout or mackerel. They lend themselves really well to sort of dry aging. Um, so tell me the process of the dry aging, because that's what I had recently. And it, the way that you described it, I mean, give us the spiel, because there is a story behind absolutely yeah, every absolutely. dish. It takes hours sure. <laughs> to eat at yours. Uh, tell us the spiel for the uh, dry aged trout. So, yeah, I mean, when you came in the other night, um, we had some beautiful uh, dry chalk stream trout on the menu. Um, we dry age that for five days in, in, the, in the dry aging fridges. So these are like controlled environments for fish or meat to sort of uh, not spoil as such. So, you know, it's running at a humidity of around sort of 68 to 70, temperature around sort of two, sorry, three to four degrees. And uh, there's some Himalayan rock salt in the bottom. So that just sort of takes any extra moisture out of the air. So we dry aged the trout for five days. Um, you know, nothing went to waste in that dish at all. 
Um, the head we make a stock out of, the bones we smoke, and then we make an oil out of that. And we cook the trout fillets in the smoked bone oil. And uh, I believe we served it with some beautiful razor clams from uh, Orkney, which we lightly steam. And then the resulting liquor from the clams we um, put into the sauce with some preserved gooseberry juice, which just brings a nice bit of acidity to it. And then we had some uh, peas as well, some local samphire. Um, a couple of my chefs are very keen foragers, so they keep us well stocked throughout the uh, summer months. So we had some uh, samphire from uh, Shoreham, or no, Tide Mills actually, yes. And then yeah, we had some uh, Mirin marinated trout row in there also. And then we just finished it off with um, uh, roast garlic oil. I mean, really, really simple in um, presentation and appearance, but a lot of work goes into uh, that dish and generally across the board my, I think my food to the eye looks really simple um, you know I'm very keen on just you know simplicity working with a uh, few ingredients as possible and just sort of making them shine on the plate so yeah, I wouldn't call it simple I'd call it very dainty very beautiful mm-hmm. very paired back to look at but mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on absolutely behind and that's where the story comes from I mean how important is it to tell that story to the customers I think, you know, the vision for Ferner when, um, you know, in the early days of uh, getting it together was just sort of, you know, losing that barrier between sort of front of house and back of house and having the chefs like really involved in, uh, you know, part of the service as well. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we are one team. We all work together and we're all like striving for the same goal. So having the chefs sort of coming out and telling the journey of that dish or the providence or, you know, just how we sort of came to that dish is, is really important. I think from a guest perspective as well, it, it works and just sort of adds to the experience here at Fernand. Well, it also adds to the education and that's terribly important, Absolutely, isn't it? Once yeah. you have a much more food literate customer mm-hmm. coming, they're going to come and want more and they're also going to demand more from the restaurants around you. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that fine dining is a, has a really important part to play in mm-hmm. that kind of bid for local seasonal, you know, food to eat to save the planet you know that that's that kind of education makes people demand a better quality do do you see it kind of fanning out to the rest of the 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 city i mean it's always been important that side of it 100 percent. and like you say people are becoming our customers should i say becoming a lot more educated in um you know what they eat and they want to know a story and you know i think us here um doing what we do sort of highlights that um but yeah i think it will sort of take a shift for that and um yeah it's only for the better absolutely absolutely it raises the game all round um everyone wins i think tell me about the japanese influence i mean (laughs) i wouldn't say there's uh obviously there is sort of nods to there's a lot of nods there there is but you know it's you know i'm no way like you know my food is not japanese we're a uh, british modern restaurant um you know my my roots are like classically trained in sort of French cookery and they will always be the basic uh, the building blocks of my food um, you know stuff like use, we're using like you know some mirins we make a lot of our homemade misos here we use like different age soy sauces and stuff like that and I just really find it elevates my food in particular um, well one of the first dishes that comes through on the tasting menu is the shakapan, the, the Japanese milk bread. I mm-hmm. mean, that is something that I haven't seen on any other restaurants mm-hmm. in Brighton, certainly. I haven't seen many Japanese milk breads no. anywhere in the no. world. I've just been reading about it in yes. a book by Emiko Davies, and it is unusual. Uh, it's beautiful, yes. and the taste is quite 
Oh, it's such a lovely, soft, pillowy bread with honey on it. It's mm-hmm. quite a different experience. Absolutely. Why that? Did you t- have you been to, a, to Japan and tasted it and brought it home? No, I mean, you know, obviously the dream is one day to go over there and sort of experience that. And um, so the, the bread, I mean, obviously when we opened Ferno, we spent weeks and weeks in the kitchen down here testing recipes and especially the bread. So I really wanted to deliver a special bread course. So I think that sort of, you know, if, if the bread course is at a high level, um, sort of uh, kicks off the rest of the rest of the menu, right? So you know, we spent I say weeks down here testing different breads, different flours, different hydrations. I really didn't want to do a sourdough because everyone does a sourdough, and um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to do something different. So myself and the team, we sort of worked on various recipes, and then uh, we we did that recipe, and um, it's been so consistent. I mean, it's the only thing that hasn't changed on the menu since we've been open. Um, but yeah, we, we got that recipe, we've stuck with it. It's, the recipe is under lock and key. We're not handing that out to anyone. Um, we've been asked numerous times, so um, we're keeping three, that one close to our chest. There are three pages of that recipe in Emiko Davis's yes. book, actually. It's not an easy one to make, although she says it's a simple, the one that a lot of Japanese people do actually yeah, make yeah, at home. Yeah. So the dry-aged beef you've been prepping already mm-hmm. this morning, can you take us through it? Absolutely. So our fridges are generally well-stocked with various cuts and different breeds and uh, different animals. So I had a beautiful uh, you know, roast, roast rib or full rib, five-bone rib of beef in there from our lovely friends down at Lions Hill Farm in Dorset. Um, so we had that delivered over a month ago, so it's had an extra sort of month in our ageing fridges. Um, so we, yeah, I broke that down this morning for the lucky guests today. Um, put a couple of posts on Instagram this morning actually of uh, the, the butchery, so a um, little plug there for you. Um, so yeah we, yeah, we broke that down into the various cuts and uh, yeah, the, all of them get utilised throughout the, throughout the menu. There's two serves of the beef, one comes with uh, a little um, tartare of lobster as well in our black garlic croustards. We're using sort of the, the rib cap. And then we've got the ribeye which we're serving as our main course this week. Um, with like cream spinach and a can pot peppercorn sauce so like once again I mean that dish itself is quite classical in terms of you know beef spinach and peppercorn sauce but you know we, we like to elevate things slightly here um, but I say as I mentioned you know my, my roots are deep in sort of French cookery but you know I, I like adding different things to it so yeah yeah um we talked about this a little bit when I came over but just tell me again why not Trenchmore Farm uh, nothing against Trenchmore Farm but why Absolutely. not super local why not hyper local I mean you know I, I try and look for the best quality uh, beef I can on, on, well all ingredients you know I mean I work I, I stretch the whole country for suppliers you know my scallops and langoustines come from Orkney um, and smoked eel from Devon my crabs sometimes come from uh, Cornwall um, you know obviously in summer in Brighton there's some fantastic fish but once again with the beef I've known Andy for a long time and I've worked with him through many restaurants and you know he's doing a fantastic job and you know his products are amazing um, but for me if I wanted to use a Wagyu beef you know I don't think many people can put it on the menu at the moment it's very expensive but you know I'd want to personally use like a full-blooded Wagyu which you know at the moment's coming in around a hundred pound a kilo per sort of uh, um, Depending what cut, but generally, yeah, strip loins about 100 pounds a kilo at the moment. And I don't think any restaurants in Brighton can put that on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, nothing uh, bad there. It's just I've decided to use uh, Lions Hill Farm down in Dorset. Yeah, yeah. it's it's good. it goes for what you you're going for what you trust. Absolutely. Tell me about the Michelin story. There's a lot of murmuring about you being the first Michelin star in Brighton. I've had a long chat recently with uh, lovely Duncan at Little uh-huh. Fish. He says that it's a 
well, he says it's a prison that you don't <laughs> want to live in. Uh, tell it me about Michelin. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I agree with Duncan. Actually, it's you know it's not something that we've strived for as a team, and that's never the goal for um, for this restaurant. You know, we you know we just want to cook nice food. We want the customers to be happy, and um, you know just run a sustainable business. Um, you know, and if anything comes of that, happy days, we'll take it on board. But, you know, there's, there's no sort of mad aspirations to drive ourselves for that. Like, each day we're all in here, you know, we've all got the same goal as a small team. So um, it can be, uh, you know, a knife in the back in some sense. But, you know, you know, we've been lucky enough to get in the guide uh, this week or last week and uh, the good food guide as well. So, you know, there's, there's things happened already in such a short space of time. Sort of never our goal to sort of, you know, get a star or anything like that. We just want to source some amazing food, have a great service, great wines, and, you know, just a really unpretentious environment. And that's it for this current run of In the Kitchen With. Note the use of the word current. You think I can keep Julie away from the chefs for that long? Not a chance. Anyway, have a great rest of the summer, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>